My name's Tim. Welcome here this morning. Uh, we're going to talk about the portrait of the fool as we begin our Proverbs series. Um, my wife and I and family have uh, been Highlanders now for six years, which is uh, um, out of the ten years that we, you all have been together, and it's just been a pleasure and a great place to be, and uh, we love you guys. So um, this morning we're going to begin the Proverbs series and dig into wisdom by looking at the fool. I can tell you all kinds of ways to be wise, but if I show you ways to be, uh, uh, show you the ways of the fool, which we just looked at many of them, um, it's always a good reminder. But the first thing we're going to do is kind of dig into who Solomon was, um, and then we're going to look at how he became wise, uh, and then why he wrote the book of Proverbs, and then there's some kinds of fools. There are multiple kinds of fools, and... um, I'm going to cover several of them that uh, Proverbs covers because I want you to be able to find yourself in that list somewhere. Um, I know I certainly can. So, Jason called me or sent me an email, said, uh, I want you to handle this one, and do you mind doing it? And I told him, I've got a doctorate in this, so uh, I'm certainly glad to tackle the fool. So as you probably know, Solomon was David's son. And a very, very wise uh, king, he ruled over Israel for 40 years from 970 to 931 B.C. Now, I kind of relate to Solomon. I was thinking about him this morning coming in. To me, Solomon is like the first Bible character, king or whatever that I really connected with. And the reason is because of that crazy story they tell you when you're a child about that baby and those two women fighting over whose baby it was. And Solomon goes, I've got a great idea. We're going to cut the baby in half and we'll give one half to this lady and the other half to the other. As a little boy, that's like cool and gross and exciting and all those things at the same time. But I'll never forget that, that moment when I realized what the real point was. That the real baby's mom was the one naturally who would say, let the other woman have her or have him. And that just, I mean, it just, it's brilliant. And so that is what Solomon became for us. He began a process of showing us uh, what foolishness is and, and really encouraging us to understand and love wisdom. In 1 Kings chapter 3, the Lord is very pleased with Solomon. And so here's what happens in verse 6. Nope, sorry, in verse 5. That night the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream. And God said, and you probably had this experience, What do you want? Ask and I will give it to you. Can you imagine a moment like that, waking up in the middle of the night, So here's what Solomon says. You showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your chosen people, a nation so great and numerous that they cannot be counted. And here's the sweet spot. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. 
For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? Well, now in verse 10, the Lord was pleased with what Solomon asked for because he asked for wisdom. And so God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you've asked for and I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one has ever had or ever will have or ever will have. There's never been another guy like this. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. The legend of Solomon's wisdom spread around the world. In uh, 1 Kings chapter 4, this is kind of Solomon's resume, beginning in verse 29. God gave Solomon a very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan the Ezrite, the sons of Mahal, Hermon, Calcol, and Darda. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding nations. He composed 3,000 proverbs and wrote 1,005 songs. He could speak with authority about all kinds of plants from the great cedars of Lebanon to the tiny hyssop that grows in the cracks in the wall. He could also speak about animals and birds and small creatures and fish. And the kings from every nation sent their ambassadors to listen to the wisdom of Solomon. That's some pretty big, that's a pretty good resume, wouldn't you say? Oh. And so once Solomon becomes wise, he begins to notice something and it becomes really um, a, uh, a, a passion of his. He realizes that the people around him aren't wise. We don't come wise. We didn't come packaged wise. I don't know if you notice that or not. <clears throat> and so as he begins to, uh, to seek and, and understand wisdom, he wrote 3,000 Proverbs himself. Look what he says in Ecclesiastes about himself and about what he did to put this book of Proverbs together. Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many Proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like na the nail-studded stick which a shepherd drives his sheep with. So I don't know if uh, you remember your father and the nail-studded stick. Um, my father had one, I think. And um, maybe Ben's father had one, I don't know. Um, but Solomon listened to, he selected, he classified the Proverbs that he chose for this book. And the interesting thing is, he wrote 3,000 of them himself, and yet there's only 915 verses. 
And not all of the verses in Proverbs are accredited to Solomon's wisdom. He collected it from everywhere. So really, we've got the cream of the crop, the best of the best right here in this book. And just in case you wonder what the purpose of the book is, he wisely, of course, states it in the very first chapter. So the purpose of Proverbs is the, are these things. Number one, to teach people wisdom. Number two, to help them understand the insights of the wise. To teach people to live disciplined and successful lives. Did you know that discipline and success go together? There's a proverb that says the sluggard takes food in his hand but is too lazy to lift it to his mouth. Disciplined and successful lives. And to give insight to the simple and knowledge and discernment to the young. So a proverb, this is a teaching tool and many religions have used them and you'll see old Chinese proverbs and all those things and and we've got books of proverbs. Basically, it's similar to a parable uh, a parable is a story that Jesus used that gives you a point, gives you meaning, you get the point, you understand what's going on, there's a moral at the end. In a proverb, it's generally speaking a one or two sentence line that has a complete thought in it that makes sense and it's wise. So Solomon's desire was for us to learn and become wise. There's an American author and humorous, and I used to have his this saying on my desk or nearby on my wall. He said, Sam Levinson said, you must learn from the mistakes of others. You can't possibly live long enough to make them all yourself. Again, this is our problem. um, And that brings us to our subject this morning, which is the portrait of the fool. When you think of the fool, you may think of those guys in the video this morning that's kind of where my head went. And, and to be honest with you, I, I thought, oh man, dumb and dumber. I'm going to show a bunch of those scenes. I realized that there are some things that I watch that I would never show in church. And there's a problem with that somewhere, you know. And so I was looking at scene after scene and I thought, well, I can't use that one. I can't use that one. Oh my goodness. And then Jesus kind of leaned in and he said, why don't you take me to the movie theaters with you sometime? And I'm like, okay. I get it. So anyway, we put all the clips together, covered it up with music, and um, hope you weren't too offended. But those guys were idiots, not fools, right? I mean, most of them. But the real point is that there's foolishness bound up in our hearts. <clears throat> Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. We just saw Miss Sue sit here trying to talk to these kids who can't listen, who can't sit still, who can't pay attention. And then it says the rod of discipline will remove it far from them. My dad read that scripture and shared it with my mother. And many times they work to get the foolishness out of me. But don't think that scripture applies to children because I don't think they got it all out. And so the point is, foolishness is bound up in our hearts. Throughout the book, Solomon works off this tension 
of foolishness and wisdom to give us a balance to show how the fool acts compared to the wise, giving us example after example so that even the dullest person in the room can kind of get it. You know what I'm saying? The, the one, maybe not the sharpest knife in the drawer um, and all the other sayings we have for foolish people. He tried to make it simple. If he was to put this together today, I was thinking that he might create a YouTube channel and just just do his Proverbs by, by video. That's kind of the way we, we learn and grow these days. So, for example, I can tell you, George, not to put your tongue on a, a pole in the middle of winter outside, okay? I could show you a video, actually, of a guy not putting his tongue on the pole in the middle of winter. But really, isn't this more effective? Are you really stuck on YouTube? Okay, breathe on it. Go. Subsequently, I could show you a video of someone riding an escalator the proper way. Or I could suggest that sliding down the up escalator's railing with a crowd of people on it isn't a good idea. But really, it's just better to go to YouTube and show you this. That's a bad idea. Oh, that's a very bad idea. I love that guy. The guy filming. This is a bad idea. This is a bad idea. But I'm going to get this on YouTube, buddy. Finally, I can tell you that fireworks are dangerous. Oh, I love this one. I can tell you, warn you that holding a bottle rocket in your mouth isn't just foolish, it's stupid. But isn't, isn't really this more fun? That guy, wow. So the point is, and Proverbs is full of this, Solomon points out the fool and his ways to help us understand how to be wise. And the interesting thing is there are multiple words in Hebrew for different kinds of fools, um, which is... uh, which is interesting, you know, we, we all speak English. We grew up in the American school. We, we uh, learned how some of you may speak other languages, but primarily we speak English. In Hebrew, they have a different word for all kinds of things, but look what we do in English. This is, this is brilliant. The baseball player stood at bat with his bat ready to bat when right off the bat, a bat came swooping down and he batted it away. So in English, we don't really have a lot of different words for a lot of different things. We just have one or two words for a whole bunch of things. And so people like my wife who, uh, who teach children how to read, you're always working through those processes and trying to help them understand that, yeah, bat is 
a bat, and then a bat is also the thing you swing, and when you swing it, you're batting, and I mean, it's just crazy. But in Hebrew, it's very interesting. We have different kinds of fools, and the reason I'm bringing this out is that's what Proverbs is full of, is different kinds of words that describe the fool. So the first one that comes up quite a bit is petty, which, uh, which means naive, but teachable. Proverbs 14, 15 says, Only simpletons believe everything they're told. The prudent carefully consider their steps. So this naive person has hope, however. It, it's the sense that they can learn. The second one is Kessel. Kessel. That word means fat or dull. It, it's kind of the picture of kind of the hopeless fool. Proverbs 26 verse 3 says, Guide a horse with a whip, a donkey with a bridle, but you have to beat the heck out of a fool to get him to understand. That is the, uh, the picture of the Kessel. And then the last one, interestingly, is evil, which sounds a lot like our word evil. And that's exactly what it means. It's evil to be immoral, um, to be godless. And really, this is the picture of the boneheaded guy who just won't listen or won't believe. Uh, Psalms 14.1 says it best, and this is a very familiar place. Only fools say in their hearts, there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. So we have a picture here of three different kinds of fools. Um, You may see yourself in more than one. That's okay. I give you permission. I find myself in most of them. The first one is really the simpleton who can learn but needs to be trained. Basically, that first one, Petty, is the guy who says, hey, y'all, what's this? Which we all know are the last words a redneck speaks before he dies. Hey, y'all, what's this? That YouTube is literally packed with that. You look up stupid people and you'll, you can sit all afternoon. I don't recommend it, though. It's ridiculous. The next one is the fathead, the, the slow, the, the, the dumb kind of person. Proverbs 17.10 says, A single rebuke does, not, does more for a person of understanding than a hundred lashes on the back of a fool. And then we have the third one, which is, represents evil or, or immoral. They're just simply not interested in God. But again, what I want to describe and point out here is that there are often times in your life and in my life where any one of those can apply. That's why they're here in Proverbs. Fools think their own way is right, but the wise listen to others. The perverse and evil one just seeks his own way. I don't know about you, but I have a tendency to seek my own way. So, 
I think it's understandable that once you become the wisest man in the world, you realize that there's a lot of foolishness around you. And you realize that it's bound up in the hearts. And so we clearly see that our tendency is towards being foolish. Solomon, without knowing it, even prepared us, I love this, for Facebook. Now that's some wisdom right there in 900 B.C., In, in Proverbs 26, verse 4, says this. Don't answer the foolish arguments of fools, or you will become as foolish as they are. Now, some of you who are maybe friends of mine on Facebook may have seen me run down this trail a couple of times. And sometimes you have that, that awkward moment where like two of your very good friends who don't know each other at all are arguing with each other on Facebook, and you wish you had just said, so a bird on the way to work this morning is beautiful. (laughs) Because when you do this thing right here, when you answer answer a fool or, or join in foolish arguments, you become as foolish as they are. But watch what Solomon does next, and this is his brilliance. Next he says... Be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools or they will become wise in their own estimation. Now, isn't that interesting? So we have a warning not to get involved and a warning that we better get involved, which I just absolutely love because there are probably some times when you really should step up and say something. But this, I love the futility of, of this whole thought process on Facebook. Because it really, I mean, have you ever changed anybody's mind on Facebook? Ever? Has, has anyone ever changed your mind? Surely not. So it brings us to this next thought um, where we echo the teacher of vanity of vanities, all is vanity. If you're not careful, you'll end up like this guy. Are you coming to bed? I can't. This is important. What? Someone is wrong on the internet. You may know somebody like that. You may, and it may be you actually. But this is foolishness. All wrapped up. So all this brings me to a question. And this is probably the most important part. Because this is the one that's really hard to figure out. And that is this. How do you know when you are a fool? How do you know when you're being foolish? And the answer, I think, lies in the things we've been talking about in in the last weeks, the foundational principles that Jason's been, been talking about. If a fool is wise in his own eyes, the best way to identify that is to see yourself through other people's eyes. If you want to know what the answer is to how do I know when I'm a fool, my question to you would be, do you have some people in your life? Is there somebody close who can point this out? Now, of course, in my life, the closest person is Angie, and she always points out when I'm being foolish. And I really like that about her because, generally speaking, she's always right. Um... But there are other, there are other ways and other things to do. 
But just like the king um, that uh, Sue was telling the kids about, you got to find some older people who are wise and have in your life different kinds of ages. You know, if you're just if you're just going and relating to everybody your same age, then all you're doing is going all going through the same thing at the same time. Um, so I encourage you seek out some some old people. We got some seasoned people around here. Um, and find, you know, get into somebody's life. Do you have people in your life who will call you on your trash talk? Do you have men or women around you who can hold you to the standard that you've, uh, hold you to a standard that you've invited them to? Have you given anybody permission to say, hey, listen, dude, if I'm doing this, will you please just call me and come over and hit me in the head? Would you, would you kick me? Would you make sure that I wake up to what's happening? Because sometimes I don't see it. It's really hard to know yourself until you let other people know you. And it's really hard to see who you really are until somebody knows you and can tell you those things. I have a group of men like that. Um... And in fact, I actually, I'm kind of overdo it. I kind of have like three groups of men. Um, I meet with Scully and another guy on Tuesday mornings for breakfast. Um, I meet with uh, Rick Bussey and Mike and Drew and a bunch of guys, Tad Tadlock on Wednesdays. And then I have a, a life group. We call ourselves the Paul Bearers. Um, and it's a group of guys that have, we've committed to each other for the rest of our lives. Jim Brackett is back there and one of my uh, pallbearers, although we're really going to just have to race race to the finish to see who gets to do that. But um, the point is, these are guys that know me and can call me on the stuff and can show me when I'm foolish. And I want to tell you a story because this is really, this is really uh, important. Uh, when I first met these guys... I, um, I had a different, I had a weird picture of God. Angie used to say to me, I'd talk to her about what God was doing or whatever. And she'd say, I think your God is a Greek God. Cause he's like always up in heaven and, you know, shooting down things and making things happen to, to mess up what I'm doing. And you know, all that stuff. It's just, it was a weird sort of a skewed version of who God is. And so I want to I want to tell you that um, as as I moved into that, um, I began to see something about myself that I want to I want to share in just a minute. But John verse uh, John six verse twenty eight. This is a verse. This is the verse before the one we've been coming to for weeks now. If you really want to know how to be wise, if you really want to know what Jesus expects of you, if you really want to know. Uh, how to do this, there's something that Jesus tells you that is really like the secret. You know, I've been studying the word for a long, long time. I've been a Christian all my, all my young, you know, young adult life. I've read and read and read, and I've hardly ever seen this statement until fairly recently. But let me set up the scene. Jesus is standing there in the crowd. The next day, he fed the 5,000. He got in the boat. He went across the lake, and a bunch of people followed him. And I love, I love what they say in verse uh, 28. We want to perform God's works too. 
what should we do? I mean, it's just this sense, you know, I just, I get this sense that Jesus is just like, you've got to be kidding me. You have, you have no idea what you just said. But then he gives them the key, which is our key to the whole thing in verse 29. This is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one who has sent me. If you spend your entire life doing that one thing, you will not have wasted anything. Believe in the one who has sent me. Now, it's okay. Religious people don't like it when you ask questions about how you feel or does God really mean this or do I, should I do this or whatever. That's an uncomfortable place because everything needs to be neatly in a row. But it's okay, I believe, to struggle with that, to push on that, to seek that, and to find people to help you uh, move in that direction so that you can believe in the one who sent. For left to our own devices, we become foolish pretty naturally. So there's a statement in, uh, in uh, Romans, the first chapter, that I always thought was for unbelievers. But let's look at uh, Romans 1, verse 20. For everyone, since the world was created, people have seen uh, the earth and the sky. Through everything God made, they clearly see His visible and, and His invisible qualities, His eternal power, His divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. You know, we live in a part of the country where people come just to just enjoy the mountains, to come up. And it's so funny that people who don't know God and sometimes are quite opposed to Him absolutely love His creation as if it is the thing that they worship. And verse 21 says, Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship Him as God or even give Him thanks. And they begin to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like the mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. Blaise Pascal may have said it best when he said, God made man in his own image. And man has returned the compliment ever since. Where we're going with this is when we respond foolishly, we may actually get part of verse 21 ourselves. A.W. Tozer says it best, I think, in the knowledge of the holy. And here's what he says. Let us be aware, lest we in our pride accept the erroneous notion that idolatry consists only in kneeling before visible objects of adoration, and that a civilized people, such as ourselves, are therefore free from it. The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of Him. It begins in the mind and may be present where no overt act of worship has taken place. And he goes on to say, wrong ideas about God are not only the fountain from which the polluted waters of idolatry flow, they are themselves idolatrous. Look at this next statement. The idolater, or you can just put your name in there if you'd like, 
simply imagines things about God and acts as if they were true. When I began meeting with these men, I told you I had a wrong idea about what God was like. My God was snide and unapproachable. My God played games with me like a Greek God. My God even called me names. Idiot. There was one particular name that I can't really say to you, but I honestly believe that that's what God would say to me from time to time. And my good friend Jim Brackett would just kind of smile and wait. Through the eyes and ears of my very dear brothers, I begin to realize that I wasn't hearing God at all. That I was hearing a God I had created in my own heart. Mostly it was the voice of the enemy who loves to tear us down. And through hours of meeting together as groups and many breakfasts and lunches and individuals like Michael Fox and Grady Shope and Patrick Scully, I began to pull down that false God and get to know the real one again. In deeper talks with Jim Brackett, I discovered that some of the voices from my past had taken over the voice of God. You know, if you had a tough relationship with your father, there's a good chance that some of the ways you hear God speak to you may be in that same tone of voice he used to use. But that's not the way our God is. He's a loving father. In one situation, Jim and I found that the voice of God was the voice of a former leader in my life whom I was kind of under and being uh, controlled by in some ways. I cannot tell you how amazing the freedom was when I realized that the voice I'd been hearing that I thought was God that was berating me and calling me names. That may sound ridiculous to you, but I hope it doesn't. Was really not the voice of God at all. And so through relationships with others, through allowing myself to be open and uh, vulnerable to other men, I've learned to know the real father. And, and this is, this is interesting. I have learned to be able to sit through an introduction like uh, Jason gave me, where he says the things about me that I actually maybe kind of believe are true now. All of, thing, all of these things would be impossible without men in my life, without other people. And Nate, if you and the guys would come now and let's, as we begin to wrap up, I want to ask you guys a question. What kind of God have you created in your life? Is there a voice that speaks to you that, that doesn't sound like a loving heavenly father? Maybe it's a religious spirit. Maybe it's a, a, the voice of your dad. Maybe it's the voice of, of an abusive relationship. How do you get back to the truth? You do what Jesus said. 
get to know the one who sent me. Are you pursuing the God of heaven or some lesser God of your own creation? As we close this morning, I'd want to encourage you to make a, make a choice. Step into something. If you don't have friends in your life, if you don't have men, guys, if you don't have men in your life that you can call, that you can go to breakfast with, that you can get beyond the, how you doing? I'm all right, how are you? You've got to do that. It's the only way you can actually see who you really are. And ladies, the same thing is true. Don't just sit there. There are men in this room who've never had a real conversation with another guy. There are women in this room who haven't had a friend in years. I'm telling you, that's where the work begins and it's where the heart is plowed and it's where good things happen. So as we do often, um, we're going to close this morning and uh, we're going to pray for you. Um, now, let me just ask you a question. Are, is Who in this room does not need prayer this morning? All right, so good. All right, that's what I have always assumed. Um, I just want to make you aware, really for the past six months, Jason's been standing over here. We've had elders and jail leaders over on this side. It, you can't imagine, that's, it's like going to a dance without anybody to dance with most of the time. But you need prayer, right? And there are people who will pray for you. And I will, I will meet you over here and we'll pray this morning. If, if God's touching your heart and ministering to it, don't take this home and go, well, that was good word. And not do anything about it. Make a change. Let God move. And it's not, it, you don't say, I'm, I'm a failure, so I'm going to go get prayer this morning. Sometime last year, I cried like a baby. I don't even think Jason understood what I was trying to say when he was praying for me. It's okay. It's okay. If you need prayer, come during this last song and let's, let's talk. But let's do the business of getting to know the one that sent Jesus And let's drive the foolishness out of our own hearts by working with others on the same goal. And let's get to know the one who sent the Son. Father, we just pray, God, that you would open our eyes to the areas where we are foolish. Open our hearts for change, God. And meet us here to make a difference. In Jesus' name. Amen.